Thank you and welcome to Scripture on Creation. I'm Scott Kump. And I'm Dr. Ben Scripture. Dr. Scripture, in our last program, you answered some questions from a listener that gave us an opportunity to exercise our imaginations and think about what it would be like to visit different periods in biblical history. Yeah, those questions involved what it would be like in the earliest days when Adam and Eve were in the Garden Mm -hmm. of Eden. And, of course, we have very little information in the biblical record about those days, so we had fun imagining what it would have been like, not only then, but at some other times in history. That's right, Dr. Scripture. We both had the opportunity to share what periods of biblical history, you know, what we would choose to go back and observe. I picked the early days of Israel's monarchy. And I was surprised at that, but anyway, (laughs) that was your choice. I I love Jonathan. And you chose the Creation Week, and I don't think that surprises too many of our regular (laughs) listeners. Right. So, What do you think about asking our listeners their choices of what Bible times they would like to visit if they could go back in time? Scott, I think that would be really cool. We've done some top 10 lists in the past, so let's do another one. The top 10 periods of biblical history that our listeners would choose to go back and observe. Now, I know we're taking a bit of a chance calling it the top 10 because, first of all, we're going to have to get at least 10 people to respond. (laughs) You hear that? So everybody, put on your thinking caps and imagine what different periods of time you're aware of in the Bible and especially the one that you'd want to go back and experience. And send your response by email to scripture at scriptureoncreation.org. Or text your answer to 574-551-1524. Or you can use Facebook Messenger. Yes, a message on the Scripture on Creation Facebook page would also work. So I hope people will participate in this fun little exercise. I think it would be fascinating to hear what biblical events our listeners would like to witness. You know, Dr. Scripture... We might get some very interesting reasons for why people chose a particular time or biblical event. Yeah. Maybe there'd even be some that you could share with everyone else. Well, that's a great idea, Scott. So, everyone, keep that in mind. When we share the top 10 list of biblical times or events our listeners would like to visit, I may read some of the reasons some of you chose to experience that event or why you wanted to meet a certain person. And at the end of today's program, we will remind everyone again to send their response. Okay, well, today we're going to return to our study of creation in the book of Job. Right. And the last time we were reading in Job, it was chapter 10, and Job was talking about how God had created him. Yes, and more generally speaking, Job was referring to how God created man, or we'll understand as we read this passage again, we see that Job understood some of the things that Genesis says about how God created man. So let's go to Job chapter 10, and I'm going to start reading at verse 8. It says, Thy hands fashioned and made me altogether, and wouldst thou destroy me? Remember now that thou hast made me as clay, and would thou turn me into dust? Didst thou not pour me out like milk, and curdle me like cheese, clothe me with skin and flesh, and knit me together with bones and sinews? 
Now, notice, first of all, in this passage, the reference to dust. He said, and wouldst thou turn me into dust again? Does that sound familiar to you, Scott? Yeah, especially since he uses the word again. Uh In Genesis, I believe it's chapter 2, it says, God formed man from the dust of the ground. That's right. And then also, God says to Adam, as the punishment for his sin, in Genesis 3.19, that idea where you mentioned again, Mm -hmm. says, by sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, that idea of returning, you know, again, till you return to the ground because from it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So Job does seem to be aware of even this exchange between God and Adam back there in Genesis chapter 3, or at least certainly he's aware that God formed man of dust from the ground, and Job is considering the fact that, you know, he's going to return to dust. And so what Job is saying when he's almost surprised, are you going to return me to dust again? Hmm. He's surprised that God is punishing him like this. And I think what we might consider him worrying about is that he's going to die early. You know, are yeah. you going to cause me to die and return to dust already? Of course, we learn that Job lived quite a long time <laughs> after these events. But at this point in his life, he may have been very surprised that God was going to take his life at this point. Then again, as we go on, we're going to see that Job actually wishes that God would take his life. <laughs> but what we notice time and time again through this book of Job and through Job's comments, a lot of times it's just confusing. We see the frustration in Job saying things that conflict from literally one sentence to the next. Yeah. Yeah, like any of us who would be grieving. Yeah, <laughs> it, you, it tends you don't to always make sense, and, and things don't always follow one from another. Strangely enough, Dr. Scripture, what Job says here reminds me of another passage. Hmm. And in this case, a writer of Scripture seems to be aware of what Job says, almost quoting him. It's what David said in Psalm 139. That's right. When David talks about being weaved in his mother's mm-hmm. womb and so forth, read what David says, Scott. Okay, this is from the NIV translation, at Psalm 139. Verses 13 to 16, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. Wow, doesn't that sound like what Job says? Of course, the big difference being David says these things, in a sense, in joyful yeah. awe and Job in desperate frustration. Big difference in the mood and the attitude. There. Right. David is thinking about how wonderful his body is, Job about how weak his body is. Hmm. And so I want to point out an odd thought, you might say, about what Job says in verse 10. We just sort of read over this. Job 10, 10 says, didst thou not pour me out like milk? and curdle me like cheese. (laughs) Now, obviously, this is metaphor. It's a description of forming him into the shape he's now in, so to speak. But this description, you know, brings something to my mind that is another mind-boggling phenomenon of nature that, frankly, I think evolution is absolutely impotent to explain. How much do you know about the life cycle of insects, especially butterflies or moths, Scott? As I recall, they went through a process we call metamorphosis, particularly the butterflies and the moths. They're an egg, and then it's called a larva, like the little worm thing or whatever it is. Yeah, a caterpillar. Yeah, yeah. And then 
the pupa, I'm not sure, is that when they're in the cocoon? Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then I don't know what you call it after that. But Yeah, well, that's got a weird name, but that's exactly what I'm thinking of. This whole process of metamorphosis, it's called. Now, there are a lot of types of organisms besides insects mm-hmm. that go through metamorphosis, but probably for most of us, we think of metamorphosis when we're talking about a frog, yes. you know, you got the little uh, the larva, the tadpole, and then it grows the legs and the tail disappears. That's metamorphosis. But perhaps mostly we're familiar with metamorphosis when we think about a butterfly. Yeah. And you did a really good job, Scott. You talked about the egg, then the larva, that is the caterpillar, the pupa when it's in the cocoon, and then the adult butterfly. Well, Most people probably are not aware of what's going on inside that cocoon when the larva changes into what's called the pupa. After that caterpillar weaves that cocoon, the caterpillar literally becomes liquid. Really? If you cut open that cocoon at the right stage, just goo, just soup would come out. And yet it turns into the adult butterfly. It sounds very similar to me what Job is talking about when it says, you poured me out like milk and curdled me like cheese. Now, again, Job isn't (laughs) saying that that's how he was formed in the womb, that he goes through a process like that. But there actually is an organism that God creates and takes it through a process where it does. It becomes liquid like milk and then Yeah, how would you reassemble everything? (laughs) How could the process of time and chance take chemicals and have DNA produce the chemicals that would turn a caterpillar into a liquid and then reform it into a butterfly. I mean, evolution just can't explain that. With all the legs and body parts in the right spot. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) This requires a fantastic genetic set of instructions to produce the design to take a liquid and have the proper chemicals working together to then reform structures almost like cheese maybe, you know, (laughs) but then eventually, like you say, structures like legs and an abdomen and antenna Uh and wings, all of that, God has in his mind as he thinks, okay, how are we going to put this particular genetic instructions together to make this body plan to go from a caterpillar (laughs) to soup to a flying beautiful monarch or gypsy or whatever those moths and butterflies are. It's fantastic, isn't it? Yeah. So I don't think that Job necessarily knew the metamorphosis morphic stages of a butterfly, at least the soup to nuts (laughs) idea, soup to cheese, I guess is the proper way he said it. But I just found it interesting that he used terminology that in another form of organism actually sort of occurs. Wow. So now we'll get back to Job chapter 10, because what Job talks about in verses 12 and 13, after he says of God, you clothe me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews, he then says this, verse 12, thou hast granted me life and loving kindness, and thy care has preserved my spirit. Hmm. Yet these things thou hast concealed in thy heart. I know that this is within thee. So there in verse 12, Scott, I think is especially the phrases that reminded you of David's Psalm 139, where it said, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Here he's using that same kind of terminology, such that it almost does sound like David is quoting Job, or at least has those similar thoughts in his mind. But when Job talks about, you have granted me life and loving kindness, this is The only place in all of the book of Job where this concept of loving kindness is mentioned. Now, 
we need to understand that this particular word is the Hebrew word hesed. Mm-hmm. And in the King James, for example, it's translated as mercy. So this isn't the word love that where God, for example, commands us that thou shalt love the Lord thy mm-hmm. God with all thy heart and love thy neighbor as thyself. That concept of love occurs absolutely nowhere in the entire book of Job, which again is just mind-boggling that with the interaction between God and Job and how tragically Job is being treated in a sense, the idea that Job encourages himself by recognizing, yes, but at least God loves me, that doesn't occur anywhere. The only place where there's even a sense of this kindness, there's a sense of mercy, there's a sense of relationship between God and Job is this particular verse, this one verse, where Job acknowledges that God has granted him life and loving kindness. In other words, a relationship with him. But then with that in mind, Job says, yet you've concealed that in your heart. He's Hmm. talking about God. In other words, you've sort of hidden this. You're not responding to me. You're not relating to me this way. This is why Job is so confused. This is why Job is in such agony. And then finally in verse 12, where he says, and thy care has preserved my spirit. Here again, we see this understanding that Job had, that he wasn't just a body. He wasn't just made from (laughs) soup and cheese, you know. He also had an eternal part, a supernatural part, that is his spirit. Again, in a sense, referring back to where God not only made man of dust of the ground, but he breathed into him that spirit, that breath of life. So perhaps what we see is Job understands that he's eternally preserved. His Hmm. spirit is preserved. Could we call this the Old Testament version of eternal security? I don't know. But he's questioning why God is doing this to him physically. As he says, remember now that thou hast made me as clay, and wouldst thou turn me into dust again? And that's not what I say. That's what Scripture says. And remember to let us know what biblical time or event you'd like to visit. Send your response by email to scripture at scriptureoncreation.org. By text to 574-551-1524. Or by Facebook Messenger to Scripture on Creation.